This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Cyber espionage underway when it comes to the vaccine chain. Hackers launching a sophisticated phishing campaign. We'll talk about that and what they're going after. And Pfizer preparing to distribute its vaccine all around Great Britain. Following that country's quick approval, will things look and be handled the same here in the U.S.? If you get a vaccine, you'll be given a card. Shows when you were vaccinated. What will that look like? How will it work? And can they make you take them places with you? Also, Warner Brothers could be upending the movie industry business, and we will explain how. And Zoom dysmorphia, new disorder many people developing after staring at themselves over countless hours on Zoom. But first, let's start with vaccine cyber spying. Drug companies are getting ready to roll out the COVID-19 vaccines, and that's got the interest of some shadowy entities out there. IBM says someone or some groups started a cyber espionage effort to try to gather important information on the World Health Organization's initiative for distributing the vaccine to developing countries. Nick Rossman, Global Threat Intelligence Lead with IBM Security X-Force. We like that name. Tell us more about what you found when it comes to this espionage. I really love how you put that vaccine cyber espionage. So Here's what we discovered. We saw a global spear phishing campaign. So this is emails purporting to be someone else targeting organizations within the cold chain. So the cold chain is the shipping, storage, manufacturing or refrigeration, all the things that we need to keep the vaccine extremely cold, sub-freezing, I think the governor just described, as to get it to us. So these spear phishing emails were very convincing, very persuasive, and just demonstrated how far these attackers are willing to go to get access to this information. So what do they want to do with that information? Are they trying to disrupt the chain because they're bad people and they want to make it hard on us? What's going on? Well, we really think that we doubt cyber criminals were involved in this because this was a pretty precise campaign. Uh, The cyber criminals that we've seen, they don't need to go to these lengths to cover their tracks and go after a target. And it's also really difficult for them to monetize this data. So we think that it's probably a country behind this. We don't know exactly who, but you can gain a lot from this. So one, from the espionage side, just learning how to create this you know, supply chain, all the refrigeration requirements and how vials need to be stored properly and how to manage that. But there also is exactly that, the potential for a disruptive attack. You know, they could someone could seek to undermine our perception of the vaccine, our trust in it by launching an attack, potentially using ransomware, spoiling thousands of batches of vaccine. Well, uh, is there a way I mean, talking about spoiling uh, batches of the vaccine, is there a way somehow that they can, in effect, hold the vaccines for ransom? You know, we probably wouldn't see them necessarily holding it for ransom itself for the vaccine. But I will say we have heard of already companies in the cold chain get attacked by ransomware. So there was one in Chicago uh, a couple of weeks ago that got hit called AmeriCold. So what they would do in that case, like a cyber criminal, they'd go after, get on the network and hold the company for ransom. And really what that is doing, it's not necessarily destroying the vaccine itself, but it's saying, hey, you can't get in your computer, so you can't log in to see 
who is getting the next order on the vaccine. And maybe you can't see the refrigeration schedule that you've got to keep together. You said this was pretty wide ranging. There's 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 that there. I guess it was like solar panel companies because you use those to power vaccine refrigerators and warm warm places. And then even the dry ice manufacturers because you need that. So they, they basically went all over the place. Exactly. They went from as much of that cold chain supply chain as possible. So those uh, solar panel companies are really important in parts of the developing world where you've got to transport a vaccine, may not be a stable power source, and you've got to keep it safe for a long period of time. So it may not be similar to you know, what Californians are using, but if you're in somewhere in the developing world, you've got to have access to uh, that solar power. We think also that you know the attackers were looking to go upstream. So you target one of these companies and then try to go to another uh, third party within the cold chain as you move up in the attack. Nick Rossman, Global Threats Intelligence Lead with IBM Security X-Force. Great Britain getting ready for Pfizer to deliver its COVID vaccines around the country. Distribution plans are in the works here in the U.S. Now, if things go smoothly in Britain, is that good news for the U.S.? Can both countries be as efficient as possible in distributing the vaccine? With us now, Dr. Thomas Yadigar, Medical Director of the Intensive Care Unit at Providence Cedar sinai Medical Center in Tarzana in Southern California. So, Dr., confident that we're going to get things right when it comes to the vaccine? Yes, I, I am. Uh, I, you know, I know that uh, we've had difficulties over the past uh, seven to eight months, but uh, I think every large health system as well as every medical center is having those discussions in anticipation of the FDA uh, approval of their emergency use authorization for the Pfizer vaccine. And uh, hopefully when uh, that does get approved on December 10th, uh, we'll be able to move right away and try to vaccinate as uh, many uh, people as possible. So it is a huge logistical challenge, though. Take us through some of just to remind people how difficult this is, especially because you got to keep it so cold. Yes, the Pfizer vaccine, uh, unfortunately, does have some special requirements, and it has to be kept in uh, special freezers so that uh, it is uh, valid. Uh, so the transportation is uh, difficult, and uh, in terms of getting it to the medical center, the medical centers need to have the special freezers to be able to store the vaccines. I think uh, every health system is, again, going through discussions and coming up with uh, their own unique models in terms of, one, storing it, and then, two, being able to distribute it to um, clinics and other facilities, which may uh, then be able to uh, start vaccinating the healthcare workers as well as uh, hopefully getting it out to the long-term care facilities because uh, they are also the residents will also be at high risk and uh, will also be getting the phase one part of the vaccine. So by my account, you've used the word hopefully, I think, three times. So uh, that does raise the question once again. Uh, convince uh, me, convince our listeners more importantly, that this time, this time, uh, we are actually going to do things the right way and the right people at the right time will get the right vaccines. Well, again, I think it's important to, re to recognize that this is uh, an endeavor that has not been done. Uh, but uh, if you look back, you know, I, I think in March and April, if you had asked me, are we going to have a vaccine available in December, uh, I would say that that would be very unlikely. But uh, we have done all the right things over the past nine months to get to this stage. And uh, again, you know, I think everyone is on board and everyone is doing everything that possible to make sure that we have all the steps in place to be able to get the vaccines 
out and to vaccinate as many people as uh, safely as possible and as quickly as possible. And some kind of tracking system, too, right? Because you got to get that second dose, which is fine if you're a nurse and you know you have to go get your second dose. But for the rest of us who, you know, have to get back in that 21-day window, that's, that's maybe a different story. you got to prompt people to come back on in. Yes, that's uh, definitely a part of our discussion is to uh, not only to be able to track uh, the individuals to make sure, but then also to make sure that they also have the second dose available. And as you know, the Pfizer vaccine is a series of two shots. Um, the first shot is uh, given um, on the day of vaccination, and then the second one is 21 days after. Now, as you know, uh, I'm sure these two vaccines, in particular the Pfizer and the Moderna one, some of the people in the trials have reported uh, not necessarily severe, but sometimes annoying side effects. Is there a game plan in place since people do have to get two shots for people who get the first shot and think, oh, I don't really like this. I'm not going back for the second one. Uh, yes, uh, you know, common side effects that are seen are usually seen after actually the second shot, which include fatigue as well as headaches. Um, these uh, fortunately seem to be milder in our senior population. Um, in terms of uh, what we may do, these are, you know, s- symptoms that we can try to alleviate with uh, over-the-counter medications, whether um, it's acetaminophen or Benadryl, to make it so that uh, the symptoms are alleviated and patients are uh, willing to accept the second vaccine. Dr. Thomas Yadigar, Medical Director, Intensive Care Unit, Providence Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Tarzana. You just heard about the vaccine cards and how it'll work, basically. But the big question is, will people even bother to carry them around? Can they be forced to? And can the government require everyone to be vaccinated? There figures to be resistance with the cards. We already know there is some resistance to vaccinations. John Shu, Newport Beach constitutional scholar. So, John, let's just fast forward right to the fear that some people have, saying the government is going to force me to take this. Uh, can they? Uh, no. The federal government nor the state government uh, can force someone to get a vaccine, uh, whether it's for COVID or any kind. As a recent example, Uh, When Governor Perry was the governor of Texas, he tried to force all young women to get a Gerardacil or HPV vaccine, and um, that uh, that didn't work out too well for the governor uh, because you can't force people to get what they don't want. Okay, so that's the government, but can a private employer then say to an employee, uh, sorry, you know, you're not coming into our company, our building, unless you're vaccinated and can prove it? Uh, Yes, with the exception of certain things like a a religious uh, exception, for example. Uh, It it would be a violation of state law or RIFRA under federal law, the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, uh, to require somebody to violate their own religious beliefs. There are some religions, Christian scientists, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, things like that, that don't, uh, don't allow that kind of stuff. So if, if so, I think uh, if companies are going to do that, they'd better uh, they they better be careful. Yeah, I was wondering, do you foresee problems with that, or are these groups already, like you said, there are some groups that it's well known that this is this is what they think, and maybe the businesses already know about that. Or if you just have like an anti-vaxxer person working, then then there's there's trouble with your employer. Yeah, well, I guess it also it also it depends on how smart the legal department is at a particular company. If they're sensitive to these issues, then their policies and procedures will be sensitive to that as well. Uh, beyond the fact that there are some people, regardless of religious affiliation, that they 
they literally cannot take the vaccine. Maybe they're allergic to some part of it, uh, some component of the vaccine. And if that's the case, they won't be able to take it either. Um, and then the other thing is these cards, these vaccination cards, uh, you know, they, you have the, all the vaccines are divided into two doses, approximately one month apart. So the cards will list the day uh, that you've gotten the first vaccine or first part of the vaccine, your name, your date of birth, and your medical records. Uh, and then that information is also maintained by the uh, CDC and also by the U.S. Department of Defense. Uh, and so there are some privacy issues that may or may not be involved. And certainly there are some HIPAA, or Health Insurance and Privacy Protection Act, uh, HIPAA issues involved if they don't maintain the privacy of that of that information. Well, and, uh, and, and let, let, let's explore that a little more, because, we, you know, we had somebody on just before you who was saying, well, you know, this is in, in effect kind of the same thing as when you go to your doctor and your doctor gives you a reminder card when your next appointment is. But as you just pointed out, there's a lot more data uh, on this. Uh, more people have access to it than the card that says come back to your next appointment in three weeks. And uh, is there a legitimate concern that this kind of card could end up being a de facto ticket to employment, travel, access to different places? Because if you have it, you get in. If you don't, you don't. Yes, uh, I think that's a legitimate concern. I think uh, another problem, of course, is that you're, when your doctor gives you an appointment card to come back, that doesn't have all your information on it. It doesn't have your medical record number. It doesn't have your date of birth. Uh, and, and remember, these are all things that identity thefts would love to have. Uh, the, also, when your doctor gives you a reminder card, that information does not go to the CDC, to the Health and Human Services Department, and it certainly doesn't go to the Department of Defense. The subdivision of the Department of Defense is called the Defense Health Agency Immunization Healthcare Division. Most, most people haven't even heard of that before, but it's a very uh, powerful division. It has a lot of information in its database. And so my, my encouragement is uh, for the government to make sure that, uh, that this volume, uh, we're talking tens, maybe hundreds of millions of people being vaccinated, that this protection... Uh, for their privacy and for their personal information. It just really needs to be protected. And also, the government uh, supposedly is also going to ask for cell phone numbers so they can text you reminders. And that's very nice. But you also have to remember that cell phones can be used for tracing purposes, too. And if they do that without getting the individual's consent, well, that potentially could be a Fourth Amendment violation. Do you think the vaccines are going to be tickets to ride? I mean, I, what was it, Qantas? It's not one of our airlines, it's Australia. But they were saying that someday it's all only vaccinated passengers that get to fly on Qantas. Uh, yes, certainly as a, uh, private, uh, a private entity, they have the right to do that. Uh, again, though, they need to be sensitive to people who have certain religious or health exceptions that prevent them from getting the vaccine. The other interesting thing is here in the United States, we don't have an official national carrier. Uh, all of our airlines are private. However, in other countries, uh, they have an official national carrier. Might be British Airways, might, might be uh, Lufthansa or Air China or something like that. Um, and so there, then again, you know, now you're providing information that's gonna go to a foreign government 
And none of our protections, our constitutional protections, our privacy protections, our HIPAA protections, none of those protections apply to a foreign government. They can do with the information whatever they want. Well, you know, you know what's interesting, too, uh, John, about the whole notion of using uh, the vaccination uh, cards for air travel. Nobody knows yet, and they probably won't for a good number of years, how long these vaccines are good for anyway. So so you have a card that says you were vaccinated. That doesn't necessarily mean you're, go- you're really good to go, say, eight months after you got vaccinated. Well, that's true. Uh, and uh, also, <laughs> if it's just a card, uh, and let's say you're let's say the traveler is taking a foreign country's airline that doesn't have access to the DOD or CDC database. H- how do they know that somebody just didn't photocopy it and just fill in the blanks? Uh, I'm not saying anybody would ever do that. That would be unethical. But it's not beyond the realm of of uh, imagination to think that somebody would do that. Um, And again, the actual card itself, the COVID vaccination card, if you look at it, it definitely has your date of birth and medical record number on it, plus your your full name. And, um, you know, if you're flying to a foreign country that may or may not have uh, human rights or privacy protections like we do in the United States, I mean, do you really want them to have the card? Well, I guess if you really want to go there, you're going to have to. John Shu, Newport Beach-based constitutional scholar. John, thanks. With movie theaters shut down across the nation, Warner Brothers makes a seismic shift that could have a huge ripple effect across the film industry. Plus, people are hating the way they look on Zoom calls. Now they're developing Zoom dysmorphia. The pandemic could change the movie industry for good. Warner Brothers now saying it's sending 17 upcoming movies to HBO Max the same day they hit theaters. And these are no small name movies. It's it's the slate, right? Matrix 4, Suicide Squad, Dune, all going to HBO Max. Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety, been following this story all day. So this caught a lot of people uh, who were reading this online this morning and hearing about it off guard. Did this catch industry types off guard, too? Because this is big. This is big. I think that sentiment has been shared, you know, quite a bit today within, you know, within Hollywood's creative community. It's one of those things. It's not surprising given the given the scope of the pandemic and this, the, the, the lack of any kind of timetable for when we're going to be on the other side of this. And we can go to the movies the old fashioned way. But um, so this this is a big statement, although given the circumstances that we're living in. It's not that surprising, but it is a big statement by one of the biggest studios in Hollywood. Now, I I would imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, but I would imagine that this is not sitting well with theater owners. It is definitely not sitting well with theater owners who are also, you know, many of them in, in very bad situations of having to, you know, having to shut down theaters, but still, you know, pay all that rent and overhead. So, this is just another blow to a sector. The exhibition sector is really, this has just been a cruel, cruel year for, for people that own movie theaters. Have they, Warner Brothers, addressed that? Or is it just the line that we maybe fall back on that says, you know, if there are places where the theaters are open, that must mean the, the virus is not as bad. So people will opt to go to the big screen still instead of their home TV. You'll, you'll be well, okay, in other words. 
Yeah, I mean, Warner Brothers, you know, this summer they were, or in late summer, Warner Brothers, you know, took a big gamble releasing a very big budget, the Christopher Tennant movie, uh, Christopher Nolan movie, Tennant, and put it in theaters and it and it underperformed. And whether that was because people weren't into the movie or they just were not into going into the movie theaters, that's, that's, a, that's an art, not a science, figuring that out. But I think the feeling is that they have, you know, movies take years to make. They have hundreds of millions of dollars invested in all these productions. And you look out on the landscape for 2021 and you cannot pinpoint when you can re- reasonably expect to have Wonder Woman unspool in theaters. And at the same time, the company has, a for Warner Brothers, which is part of the larger AT&T group now, huge company priority to get HBO Max off the ground and make HBO Max a real competitor to Netflix. What better way to draw attention than to put all of these big high-wattage movies and say they're going to be on HBO Max day and date, which means they'll premiere on HBO Max at the same time that, you know, what theaters are open to play them, you know, the studio is saying we will make them available to theaters. We're not we're not denying them from theaters, but to to continue our business, we need to have this outlet and we have this important outlet. So it's a really you can feel it's a total cliche, but you can feel the winds of change blowing through Hollywood today. Well, but also, I mean, talk about change. You know, as you know, there was a time when movie companies owned the theaters or many of the theaters, and that was gotten rid of for obvious reasons. Uh, and aren't we kind of moving back in that direction, although it although, you know, digitally, but kind of the same idea. Yeah, well, you have a long memory. You're talking about the 1948 consent decree that the Justice Department established, which broke up the movie studios, MGM, Warner Brothers, Paramount, from they did own their theater chains back then, and at that time it was antitrust concerns. And it's funny that you mentioned it. It actually has come up that people have said, you know, maybe the studios should buy theaters. I think that that's probably the last thing that they would do right now, but that ha- that discussion has been in the ether, what is really, you know, making people in the creative community, the actors, the writers, the producers working Hollywood, is there is concern that the market is really becoming, I mean, it it has been dominated by big studios for all of Hollywood's history, almost all of Hollywood's history, but really now we're seeing companies like Netflix, like Comcast, like, like Disney with unprecedented market share, market power, global ambitions. It's it's really it's 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 just quite a fraught time of change in the industry. They said what it's only for next year that's what they say. It's just a pandemic kind of rule cuz people are starved for content and they want to watch things. But I mean once this starts, it's hard to stop it, right? Every it's been described to us today as, you know, you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> Once this has happened, you, it's it's very hard to imagine a scenario at the end of 2021 or early 2022 where where Warner Brothers said says okay, HBO Max subscribers who have become accustomed to all this great all these great theatrical premieres, sorry, that's going to stop. It just you don't see the world in which that happens, but you know, it, you never you never know.
But also, as you know, I mean, look, I mean, throughout history, uh, the movie history, there have been many times, you know, when television came along, when people were writing the obituary for movie theaters, they always did manage to not only bounce back, but to, to thrive and bounce back better. How do you think they may bounce back from this one? Um, you know, it, it, as you say, you know, television was a big challenge to, it, at one point, radio was a big challenge to theaters, and television was going to put theaters out of business. Um, that's when you, you know, in the 50s, that's when you got Cinemascope and 3D and, you know, right down to Smellovision was all all efforts to get people interested in coming into the movies. I think that, I think that fundamentally, you know, America and people around the world like going to the movies. It's it's a, it's part of our culture. It's part it's it's ingrained in our you know the, the social life of the of the country. And in many in many countries, it's it's such a you know movie going is still such a thing. It, it is going to change, and it is going to be you know movies are going to be in the home day and date or very soon after they after they premiere in theaters. But I I just don't I don't see movie theaters going away entirely. I do see the number of theaters probably thinning out. I do see, you know, um, there's going to be, there's going to be pressure on ticket prices to come down so that it's not a hundred dollar proposition <laughs> for a family of four to go to the theaters. I think there will be a lot of change. I think there will be, you know, there will be innovators that come in and find the way as we've seen, you know, theater theaters now can be very different places. You can have food delivered to your table. They can, they're much more luxurious. They have, you know, bells and whistles. The seats are a lot nicer than they used to, to be. The seats, yeah, lay yeah. back. <laughs> I think I think you will see that, and I also think that there will be and the smart the smart exhibitors will market this. You know, will will capitalize on this in marketing and promotions. But you know, when we do get to the glorious day when we really when it feels like things are clear enough for gathering, people are gonna there's gonna be so much pent up demand that maybe that they can capitalize on that and bring people back to the theaters. Maybe it's giving away plates, you know, a dish set come come once a week, and at the end of the season, you'll have a whole set of dishes. I like I, rem- I, re- I remember as a kid, my mother used to collect He's told this story yeah, before dishes from, from <laughs> and I never figured as a kid, I thought that's really weird. <laughs> Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Cynthia, thanks. These days, we have ample opportunities to really see ourselves through Zoom calls and Skype meetings during the pandemic, and that is making people realize they actually hate the way they look. And many are developing a disorder called Zoom dysmorphia. What a time. KYW's Matt Leon spoke with Dr. Stephen L. Davis, board-certified plastic surgeon based in South Jersey, to learn more about this unhealthy obsession. We spoke a few months ago, uh, back in the beginning, middle of the summer, and talked about uh, the fact that uh, once kind of New Jersey opened up, you were really seeing a surge in people wanting uh, procedures done. Has that trend continued here through the fall and into the winter? It most definitely has. And uh, recently, with, uh, I think, people really worrying that there was going to be a, a second wave of a shutdown, I think more and more people have decided they better get in and uh, get things uh, in order for themselves, uh, just in case that would happen. Are you seeing the same trends you saw three, four months ago as far as types of procedures, what's driving people, stuff like that? You know, I think it's been pretty much the same stuff, but uh, interestingly enough, 
I think now that people have settled in with the idea that they really will be home-based, uh, either learning, home-based, uh, working from, you know, from home, or just uh, seeing like uh, from their company's perspective, this may be the way it is uh, till far into 2021, it's given them an opportunity to really learn how to live in this new world. So patients can come in and get things done without really thinking that they're going to have to really see anyone in particular. Um, they may be able to, um, uh, you know, do things at home that they uh, would not normally have thought that they would be able to do if they were still working. But now that no one might, now that no one's really uh, going on vacation. They're using this time, as I saw all through the summer, they're still on this like vacation-ish idea where they may be able to just do a procedure. Um, if it's something that they've been wanting to do around their face, they now have a mask that they can hide a lot of these things. And if it's something on their body where there was going to be a recovery, they can be back to work the next day because they're working from home. So one of the things that we reconnected with you is this concept that was brought to our attention and we started to read about called zoom dysmorphia. What is this? What have, what have you seen? What is described this? You know, the, the whole world, the whole word of dysmorphia came from this body dysmorphic syndrome, which was really more of a, um, a psychological disorder or a, um, a way of thinking about themselves and uh, people thinking about themselves and, and really focusing on body parts that were, um, to, in their eyes, uh, overwhelmingly disturbing. And um, that's been something that we've known about for a long time. We, we had Snapchat dysmorphia when people were looking at their phones for such a, you know, an inordinate amount of time and then putting different filters on so that they looked a certain way and that's the way they wanted to look. But now this Zoom dysmorphia is really something that is um, incredibly uh, real because we are, all of us, seeing ourselves uh, on Zoom calls and all these video conferencing chat rooms and things like that for an inordinate amount of time. And it does give you this opportunity to focus on yourself and your facial features and how you look. And uh, it is something that we're seeing more and more of an uptick where patients are coming in and they specifically um, are distraught over certain body parts, certain features. For instance, um, I'm seeing a lot of patients that have come in to talk about their nose because I guess the way the camera sits in a Zoom call, it's so up front that you're seeing such um, things like uh, your nose or the tip of your nose just looks overwhelmingly large. Um, facial wrinkles and skin laxity, which you may not have really observed that closely if you were just looking in a mirror. But now when you're looking at yourself all day long on a Zoom call, we're having a lot of patients that are coming in for mini facelifts and laser procedures that we can tighten skin and make wrinkles uh, look smoother. Um, and that's just the beginning of it. I mean, we have patients, Matt, that are coming in and they, they see themselves um, in, in a way that maybe you would think about if you were 
really focusing. If you went to like a uh, um, <laughs> a room somewhere at a a department store and you were trying on clothes and that mirror happened to be angled in a certain way, all of a sudden patients may start to think, oh my God, like I really got to do something about my gut. I really have to do something about, you know, the way my um, skin looks and you're seeing it constantly. So we are seeing an uptick in almost every body part type of a surgery or even a non-surgical type of way of fixing it. Uh, almost um, like I, I've not seen anything like this in over, you know, almost 27 years of being in practice. It is an interesting um, way the world is right now. Thanks for listening. You can find us on the radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.